The Rice family, I'll, I'll let you know, is in full Christmas swing. We spent our whole day yesterday and, um, and got our tree and we decorated our house. And then we were like, hey, we're going to watch a Christmas movie. And my boys were like, hey, Dad, is Star Wars a Christmas movie? And I was like, I was like, yes, Darth Vader's lightsaber's red and Luke's is green. So, like, of course it is. Um, we didn't watch Star Wars, actually. We were like, hey, you know what would be a really good movie for our nine-year-old and our six-year-old? Um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Um, word to the wise. Parents, watch it first before you show it to your little kids. Because I forgot. <laughs> I forgot there were so many things in that movie where we were like, ooh, nope, nope, nope. There's a couple things, don't you worry. I fast forwarded because I remembered them. Um, because that was one of, my, one of my memories growing up is Christmas movies. You know, I, know, I bet some of you, one of your, one of your uh, memories growing up is Christmas, Christmas movies. Um, and uh, so it's fun to be able to, uh, fun to be able to, uh, in fact, let's just do a little social experiment right now, okay? So on the count of three, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count one, two, three, and then I want you just to yell out the, like, Christmas movie that your family watched. It's like the best Christmas movie ever, and you just watch it every year because you have to because it's part of your tradition, and we're just going to yell it out, all right? Okay, ready? One, two, three. All right, I heard some Christmas stories. I heard some Elf. I heard a lot of Elf in the room. Um, here's the thing about Christmas is Christmas comes with a lot of nostalgia, right? Christmas comes with lots of nostalgia. We remember the past. It's, you know, it gives us warm fuzzies and we're excited for Christmas. There's nostalgia. But there's something else that I want us to, to talk about today. And we're going to talk about it for the, these next few weeks. There's nostalgia and then there's anticipation, Nostalgia and anticipation. And you know what they've actually done? They've done research on this. They've done research on which emotion or which one of those things brings about the most positive emotion. And actually, you'd think it would be nostalgia, um, like thinking, because nostalgia is about the past, anticipation is about the future. But what they've done lots of studies and they've realized that the emotions connected with nostalgia are sort of less compared to the positive emotions that are generated by anticipation. Because after you've done something, you look back and you, know, you, 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 you think fondly of it, and as it goes further into the past, you think fondly of it, but it doesn't compare to what happens in our hearts when we anticipate something. And we all know the feeling of when you're anticipating something exciting that's about to happen in the future, right? So who's anticipating spring already, <laughs> right? Some of us are like, when is summer gonna hit? So we're anticipating summer for some of us, and that's exciting because you know, we're just waiting for it and waiting for it. Um, what, you know, what are some other things? Some, there's all sorts of things in our lives that we just sort of are anticipating for the future. There's some people getting married um, this, this Christmas time and in the summertime there's engagement. Engagement is this really fun time of anticipating the future. If you're going to have a baby then there's this sort of anticipation time of, of, of expecting a baby and that just sort of makes it grow and makes it grow. Um, here's one thing you got to know about my wife is, is I've learned over the years is you don't surprise my wife. Okay like a surprise party, uh-uh. It's not, going to be, it's not going to go well for me if I plan a surprise party because part of the fun for my wife is the planning, right? Is anybody else like that? Like part of the exciting thing about a vacation that you're looking for isn't just the vacation. It's like the, 
It's the planning part of the vacation. Uh, that's the mo- what, that, sometimes that's the most exciting part. I got to tell you, I, uh, looking back to my, some of my favorite Christmases, some of my favorite Christmases when I was in college and when the Lord of the Rings movies would come out at Christmas time. Those were some of my favorite Christmases because I was so excited for that next Lord of the Rings movie. I'm kind of bummed that there's no Star Wars movie this Christmas. Um, that's gonna, I'm going to have to wait till next Christmas for that. Um, there's some movies that I'm looking forward to. And you know what? When you get to those things, it makes it even better. It makes it even sweeter. Anticipation is powerful. Anticipation is beautiful. And what we are doing right now and what churches are doing all over, and Christians are doing all over the world is we're in the season of Advent. And Advent is this word that means it's the coming of Jesus. And it's the season of anticipation. Why celebrate this Advent stuff? Why are we going to all this effort to give you a starter packet and, you know, like uh, Advent logs? And, you know, what, what's the big deal? What, and no, no doubt that you have traditions in your family where you're sort of anticipating, but we just want to help. We want to help, and we want to connect you to this ancient practice of Advent because it's the season of anticipation where we're looking ahead to the most incredible, stupendous event in the history of the world, God becoming man. It's incredible. And for these next few weeks, as, as we approach Christmas here at Westside, we're just going to take a couple different looks. We're going to look at some different things related to Advent um, because it is exciting. Um, so and we just want to help you create some new family traditions. So here's what the Rices did is we celebrated Advent a little bit early. We celebrated it last night. Um, because my wife had something to do tonight, and so we celebrated it last night. So usually it's done on Sundays, but you can kind of fit it into wherever. And, uh, and we did a little filming of our family's Advent, and the reason why we did that is because, uh, is because I wanted to show you that like, Advent uh, doesn't have to be somber. You know, sometimes when you think of Advent, it's like this really somber sort of thing. It can just sort of look what your family's personality is. Um, you might be single with roommates, and so I don't know what your Advent time might look like together. Our family, because we have three little ones running around like crazy, our Advents are what you could call insane, okay? They're insane, and they're fun, and we're creating these family traditions. I wanted to give you a, l- a little glimpse into our family's Advent. Just fair warning, it's, it's pure craziness, but so much fun. I just want to give you a glimpse. So I don't know what it's going to look like in your family, what your traditions look like, but I just want to encourage you, make it, make it your own. Make it your own when it comes to Advent, because it connects us to the story, and that's what we want to do. Because here's why. Listen, listen. It's, it's around this time at Christmas, it's easy for us to just get caught up in the story, and the story is beautiful, and we all know the details of the story. In fact, everybody, most everybody, whether you believe in God or not, or believe in Jesus or not, we know the details of the story. Jesus, he comes into a manger, there's wise men, and there's no room in the inn, and all that. But listen, listen, it's one thing to know the stories, and it's another thing to know the meaning behind the story. That's a completely different thing, to understand what it all means. It's one thing just to know the, the details of the story, but it's another thing to know what the meaning of the story is. And so I want to help unpack that for all of us and for our hearts today. Here's one example is Christmas is um, all about, for Christmas in our culture, is all about comfort and perfection, isn't it? It's about comfort and perfection. We love the hot cocoa and the eggnog and the chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Right? Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow. 
will find it hard to sleep tonight. And we expect that this, this, you know, it's this beautiful, comforting feeling and like, oh, Christmas is perfect and amazing. And we just expect that all of our problems are going to dissolve and, you know, everything's going to be happy and the problems that we had with our family before, it's all just going to get fixed by the tinsel and by the lights. And we just get caught up in that and all the commercials, you know, tell us if you just purchase this thing, you'll be happy. And if you just like eat this thing, you'll be happy. And if you just do this, you'll be happy. And so we get caught up into it. But then here's what happens at Christmas. And you know exactly what I mean. All of our expectations get confronted by um, you know, our, the unbridled reality of our lives and the reality is is that Christmas is oftentimes it's messy Christmas oftentimes is hard Christmas oftentimes is the time where we're reminded of family members that we've lost Christmas for many is not a comforting time it's a very lonely time it's a profoundly lonely time for some and it's a time where you think that family will come together and we're not going to have the same fights that we did. And then your family gets together and it's the same thing and the same hangups. And, and we look at Christmas sometimes and on the back end of it and we think, man, that's, that was messy. And guess what? You know what? Listen, that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Our perfect God came into the midst of our messiness and our brokenness and our imperfections. The perfect comes into the midst of the imperfect. And so your Christmas doesn't have to be perfect. And it's okay for your Christmas to be messy because the whole meaning of Christmas is that God is not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of, you know, of, of, of you know, what you've created or what others have created in your life. If Christmas ever said anything, it's that God is coming into the midst of it. I want to read you a passage of scripture that we read often at our church. It's funny, like any sermon series we're in, John chapter 1 just seems to fit perfectly. But John chapter 1 is one of the quintessential places to look uh, when we want to understand the meaning of Christmas. See, the other gospels, so the, in the New Testament, there are these things called gospels. And it's these eyewitness account of, accounts of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are traditionally called the synoptic gospels. And the reason why they're called the synoptic gospels is because they're very similar in the way that they're written. So all those three stories, they start with, you know, they start with uh, the beginning of the story. They, they start with Jesus' birth. And in those gospels we start with you know Mary and Joseph and the manger and there's no room in the inn and the wise men and that's where all those stories of Jesus's life start but not with John. John takes a completely different approach. In John there is no manger. In John there is no wise men. John starts in a different way and the way that John writes is different than the other writers. It's very poetic. It's very just and what John does in John chapter 1 is he just, he goes, he, he says, hey, I assume at this point that you know the story, but I, wanted, I want to give you a glimpse of the meaning of the story. And I just want to read you John chapter 1. There's some beautiful things in here. John 1 verses 1 through 14. Here's what the apostle John says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing, has, uh, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. His name, uh, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came, to that, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word, this is the last verse, the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'll read that last verse again. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, the Word became flesh. One word that we've used. And that the, the gospel is also used to describe this event that takes place when, when God comes into, um, into humanity in a way that nobody ever predicted, in a way that nobody ever could have, could have foreseen, is the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's one word that's used to describe this incredible event that took place where it's a mystery where the infinite becomes finite, when divine becomes human, fully God and fully man. How in the world is that possible? Well, it's possible. It's possible in the person of Jesus Christ. The one and only time that it is possible is in this God-man who comes in the flesh. John Wesley, um, he said it this way in, an, in a really famous hymn or a famous carol that you know. He said, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Um, in this word Emmanuel, I see four things. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tick them off for us this morning. But first is this, Jesus is God. Jesus is God with us. Jesus is God for us. And Jesus is God in us. He's God, he's with us, he's for us, and he's in us. Let's get to work. Here's the first one. First of all, Jesus is God. Um, the claim that Jesus makes about himself, that Jesus is God, is, uh, do, you, do, you, do you realize how weighty this is? What kind of a claim that is? I am utterly convinced I know many of you are utterly convinced. The writers of the New Testament were utterly convinced. Jesus' own family was utterly convinced that Jesus was God. We are convinced. It's the, it's the only reason why we, uh, why we do all this, right? We work so hard to like get this set up and you know, we're here we gather for church. This isn't because this is just sort of a nice story that gives us comfort and warm fuzzies. I mean, we do this. We take this so seriously because we believe that Jesus is God. What a claim. What, a, what an incredible, crazy, crazy claim that is. That Jesus says, 
of himself that he is God. Um, this is so different than any other religious leader um, ever. Every other religious leader that's come, every other kind of major world religion was started by somebody that came and said, um, no, 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 I'm not God. I'm pointing to God. And in essence, every other world view sort of leader, every other world religion founder has said, hey, I'm the moon. Okay, I just reflect the sun. I'm here to show you this is the way that we should go. Don't look at me. Look to ultimate truth. You know, that's what every other founder said. But Jesus said something that nobody else had ever said. Jesus steps on the scene and he says, I'm the sun. I'm not the moon. I'm the sun. I'm God in the flesh. Now, I know you've heard probably, and you know, maybe if you're at U of O in a religion class or you know, wherever you went to college, you probably heard people say, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's something that they attributed to him later on. It was centuries later, and the disciples, they decided to turn him into this deity. You know, legend became, you know, like story became legend, and legend became myth, and you know, all that sort of stuff. But the reality is, these eyewitness accounts to us that are handed to us, Jesus is walking around saying things that that were so sort of blasphemous in his day that people looked at him, and you can just tell by the, by the reaction that people have in Jesus' life. People are either ready to crown him or kill him. They're ready to crown him or kill him. But nobody is just saying like, oh, just what a, what a nice Mr. Rogers teacher he is, you know? That's the viewpoint that a lot of our culture wants us to take of Jesus, is Jesus is just a really great teacher. He's got some helpful things. But see, Jesus won't let us push him into that box because Jesus steps on the scene and he says, I'm God. That means that he was, he, that means that he was either deceived about himself or he's a deceiver or he's divine. Those are the options that it's left with. Jesus said, I'm God. What a claim that is. Every thinking person, every person that just wants to really wrap their mind around this has to wrestle with that claim. Is Jesus who he says he is? That's a big question. I hope you're wrestling with that question. Christmas time gives us, uh, uh, gives us this moment to really wrestle with, is Jesus truly God in the flesh? Wow. And if you're not convinced by his claim and by his words, maybe you're convinced by his life. Just look at his life. You know, there have been other people that have come and said, I'm God. Um, that happens all the time, actually, <laughs> you know, people, uh, people, you know, uh, build a compound in Idaho, you know, or they like, uh, you know, and they get some followers and they're like, I'm God, here I am. And that happens every once in a while. And so it's like, isn't Jesus just like one of these other people that shows up and says that they're God? But you know what you'll find when you encounter somebody that says, yeah, I'm God, a very egocentric claim. <laughs> it's like the epitome of e like being egocentric to say, I'm God. Right? And when you meet somebody that got, has an egocentric claim like that, what you'll soon discover when you get close to that person is they are going to be living a very egocentric life. Of course they will. And so usually those people, they get some followers, but then they drink the Kool-Aid and, you know, and they just like, and then it, you know, then it disperses. And, uh, you know, and usually those sort of people just create these followers that become egocentric themselves. But look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He comes and he makes the most egocentric claim, and yet he goes and lives the most selfless life. And he doesn't create egocentric followers. He creates these selfless, life-giving followers. 
followers. If you're, if you're not ready to entertain his claim, then just start by looking at his life. His life is tremendous. Jesus says he's God, but he goes further than that. And Christmas takes us further than that. He says, not only is he God, but he says, I am God with you. I, he is, Jesus is God with us. And this separates, again, Christianity from all other world religions. Um, Eastern religions tend to emphasize, emphasize God's um, what's called his imminence, his closeness. There's these sort of two attributes of God that are really strange, that are hard to keep in balance. His imminence, which is his closeness, and his transcendence, his otherness, his bigness, his unknowableness. And Eastern religions tend to emphasize his imminence, his closeness, that, that God is sort of in everything. He's all around us and he's in everything. That God isn't outside. No, 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 no. He's not outside. He's inside. Western religions like, like Islam and Judaism, they emphasize his transcendence. No, no, no. God's not inside. God's outside. And Christianity comes because of Christmas because God chose to do something so insane, so crazy, so, so electrifying, so humbling, where in Christianity, through Jesus, suddenly now we have God's transcendence and we have his eminence. He is unknowable. He is big. He's God. He's beyond our ability to understand. And yet... And yet here he is. He's with us. He's close. He is knowable. He is understandable. He is touchable. He is killable. He's, he's with us. No other religion dares say something that Christianity says. That God is both. And I just want you to see that, man, if, if we have any hope at all, we need God to be both. If God is just inside and not outside, then God's under our control. Then he's manipulable. Then, you know, then he's, he's not outside of us telling us what's right and wrong, and therefore we can just create right and wrong and justice for our own selves. And as we know as human beings, we do that very poorly. We are very bad gods. It is above our pay grade. But yet if God is just outside but not close and personal and inside, then, then we have this God who's, who's unknowable. He's like the force, you know, and it's like we'll pray and it's like, does he hear us and does he care? I don't know. And, but in Christianity, this is the most terrifying but beautiful but electrifying thing is he's close. He's near. He cares. He's a God that's all powerful and yet he's close and he's near and he cares. That'll give you some warm fuzzies, but it'll also terrify you as well. <laughs> you know what that means? That means that we don't get to do whatever we want to do. That means that we don't define what's good and evil for ourselves. That means that God does that for us, and so we have to approach him humbly. We have to approach him saying, God, we are so floored by you that you are God of the cosmos, and yet you have chosen to come near and close, that you are with us. You're with us. That's his promise. What this gives us is, a, is it gives us a God who is not afraid of your mess. It gives us a God who is not afraid of coming down and getting his hands dirty in humanity. 
that we do not have a God that's like this or that created us and said, well, they made their own bed. They got to sleep in it. No, we have a God that says, no, I'm going to pursue. And that brings us to the next one is that not only is Jesus is God and not only is he God with us, but Jesus is God for us. He's God for us. Think about this. In every good adventure story, every good adventure story starts with an unlikely hero, a hero who's sort of minding their own business, doing their own thing, and then suddenly there's a turn in the story and they're whisked off into some crazy grand adventure, right? Luke Skywalker is just hanging out with Uncle Owen on the farm, right? Um, Bill and Ted are just hanging out at the Circle K, just minding their own business, um, you know, the, we've got all sorts of stories. Frodo is just chilling at Bag End. You know, Neo is just working for a computer company, just minding his own business. Maverick and Goose are just buzzing the tower. You know, they don't know what's in store next. Fräulein Maria is just singing in the Abbey. Uh, the Goonies are just hanging out in Astoria, doing their own thing. Princess Buttercup is hanging out at the castle. Every good adventure story just starts with, with somebody's in a comfortable place, and they're whisked off into a very uncomfortable situation. And they go, go and get to be the hero. And nobody experienced this like Jesus experienced. The Christmas story is actually an incredible adventure story. God, he's, he's you know, whatever, whatever heaven's like, whatever, you know, whatever that situation was for Jesus, he is, he's, he's good. He's, he's comfortable. He's, you know, he's... He's one with the Father and the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's this like ultimate like small group experience that's the most amazing thing that we can't comprehend. And there they are. And yet Jesus is sent to us. He goes from comfort to being uncomfortable to pursue us, to come after us. He is God for us. God for us. He's a God that pursues us. Any parents in the room, have you ever um, lost track of your kids and you didn't know where they were? Yeah, has that, has that happened to you? It's one of the most terrifying things ever, right? Um, and, and, and every once in a while, I get on Netflix and I watch a movie and these are the hardest movies for me to watch, but usually they're these like kidnapping movies. Halle Berry was in one not too long ago where, where uh, she's literally like in a grocery store and somebody just comes by and, and swipes her kid and she sees the ha thing happen. She runs out, gets into her car and the whole movie is her just chasing the abductor, trying to get her kid back. And those movies are just like, I'm just, I'm sweating. And then at the end, I usually cry, you know, cause, cause it's so intense because I just put myself into that situation. If somebody were to kidnap one of my kids, if somebody were to take one of my kids, I'm coming for, I'm going to Liam Neeson you, all right? I'm coming for you because that's my kid. I will go to the ends of the earth. And Jesus came from the ends of the earth and went to the ends of the earth for you, for you, for me. That's incredible. God for us. You know, we say this thing at Christmas time, which, which is very true. I think you should still keep saying it. But you know how, how we say Jesus is the reason for the season? You guys know how we say that? Okay, I'm like getting like two head nods. Okay, okay, that's, we say that, right? It wasn't just me. Okay, I didn't make that up. Wait, um, Jesus is the reason for the season. We've all heard that. Um, and that's so true. But in a way... Let's just get under that a little bit. In a way, you could kind of say it this way. In a way, you are the reason for the season. In a weird way, I'm the reason for the season. The whole reason that Jesus had to come is because we were lost. 
is because we needed rescuing, is because we needed a Savior to come and do the thing that we couldn't do ourselves. And so in a really strange way, I'm the reason for this. He came for me. Jesus is God. He's God with us. He's God for us. And lastly, Jesus is God in us. Jesus is God in us. And it's this kind of strange, surprising turn of events that takes place when you read the New Testament is not only is Jesus, he's God and he's come and he's going to rescue us, but now he's this God with us. But then he takes it even a step further because Jesus doesn't just come with us and come for us just to give us an example. Now, Jesus was our example. He is the example of the, the perfect humanity, the humanity that we wish we could be, that we were created to be, but we're not. We can't because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because of our lostness. Jesus is the example that we look to. But listen, listen, I don't know. I hope I can explain this well. Jesus is our example, sure. But if Jesus is just our example, if Jesus is just merely our example, just our example, guess what? He crushes us. If he's our example, then there is no hope for us. Because we can't be like Jesus. We, like it said, he's full of truth and grace full of both of those things, truth and grace. And we try to balance truth and grace, but we do a horrible job of it. I'm either more truth or more grace, or I'm just, or I'm passive aggressive between the two. I mean, I'm just, I can't be like Jesus. If Jesus is just our example, then he crushes us. He doesn't save us. If Jesus is our example, he's perfect. We can't reach that. We're going to spend the whole rest of our lives just trying to just follow more rules and follow more rules and follow more rules. And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he is so frustrated and he is so grateful for grace because he was the best. He was the Navy SEAL at following rules. He was the Green Beret at following rules. He was the best rule follower. And he discovered so quickly that he was still lost, even in his goodness, even in his religiosity, even in his good rule following. He, he couldn't save himself. It wasn't, he couldn't be good enough. And if Jesus is our example, then all we have is some rules to follow. Just try to be better, try to be better. And that's going to eat us alive. It's going to make us eat. And you know what it's going to do? You've heard me say this before, but living, following God like that way in sort of a religious, like rule following way, it creates two kinds of people. It creates really insecure people and it creates really prideful people. Because the people who aren't really good rule followers, you just feel so insecure, like you can never measure up. And how could God love me? Because I'm, you know... My church attendance isn't that great, and I don't pray, you know, and so, oh, God, do you, even, do you even care about me? But then you've got the people who are good rule followers, and you've got the people who come to church every week. You've got the people who give their money, and I'm doing all this stuff, I'm doing all this stuff, I'm doing all this stuff. And what that creates is this pride in us, where we look down our noses at everybody else who isn't as good as us. And Jesus comes, can you see? That Jesus comes and he says, I'm not going to create a system that just creates prideful people and insecure people. I'm not just going to come and be your example for you to live up to. No, I'm going to come be your example that you can't live up to, but I'm going to die for your sin. And I'm going to clothe you in my righteousness. And I'm going to not just come for you. I'm going to literally give you me. I'm going to be God in you. 
I'm going to cover over that sin that, that you're lost in. I'm going, to, I'm going to be in there. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be God in you. Paul, when he's writing to the church in, Col- uh, the, the church in Colossae and Colossians, here's how he says it. He's, I love how he says it. He says this, This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. I'm about to tell you the secret. He says, Christ lives in you. In you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. And then he ends with this. This is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me. Jesus is God. He is God with us. He's God for us. And then in the most surprising twist at all, perhaps, he is God in us. This is where we'll land the plane this morning. This is how we're going to land is here's the good news. Here's what Christmas is telling us. Here's what John the Apostle is telling us in John chapter 1 is, listen, Christmas is telling you that you are not alone. You are not alone. Are you struggling in life right now? Guess what? Emmanuel. If you experience loss in your life, Emmanuel. Do you feel like you lack hope? You just are, you're just, you're just, you don't have hope for the future for your life. Guess what? Emmanuel. You depressed. What about what, my life didn't, tur- your life didn't turn out the way that you thought it was and it's just causing this depression and anxiety in you. Let me just speak this word over you this morning. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God is with you. And he proved it once and for all by doing the thing that nobody expected. He could have come with an army. He could have come like Aladdin, you know, on a big, on a big uh, elephant with big trumpets. And, you know, here I am. I'm the God of the universe. But he comes. He comes in a way where we can truly see him for who he is, receive him. The God who is transcendent and the God who is imminent coming, being our rescuer and king.